just said to me, Michelle, I think you better prepare. But it was only, it was funny because this week I was thinking, I'd actually texted him. I said, are you sure you're ready to preach on Sunday? Because I know he had a really busy couple weeks with him moving and stuff like that. And he goes, yeah, no, I'll be there. Looking forward to it. And then, um, and then he got this Miniards attack. And um, he's just, probably because he's under a lot of stress <laughs> with the move and everything like that. But So just keep him in your prayers this week. Um, because, um, you know, it takes them about three or four days to, to come out of something like this. So anyway, so you're going to have to forgive me because I had to put this together quite quickly. But you know what? I just really felt this week that the Lord was speaking to me anyway. And he was saying, um, he was putting a message on my heart. And uh, so I want, I want to share this with all humility this morning, saying to you guys that I have taken a great look at myself when it comes to this subject. So I'm not just preaching to be condemning. I'm not preaching to say, you know, pointing a finger. I'm pointing the finger at me, and I'm saying, God, he was speaking to my heart regarding this. So um, it's just something that I want to share, and um, I just hope that you receive from it this morning and really learn from this because I know that it's something that I've had to learn from. Um, Right now, um, for those of you who do know, I'm going to Master's College with an online program right now. And it's kind of crazy because it is uh, online and I'm still doing that and doing my full-time work here at at the church. Um, So um, it's been hard for me to actually focus on my studies, but this particular um, course has been really good. Actually, the last two courses have been really good. It's really spoken to me about a lot of things that I feel have been going on here at Parkway and and where God is leading us. So this morning I want to talk and I want to speak from Luke 15, the whole chapter. Um, and basically, I want to talk about our attitude towards the lost. Um, and this chapter basically touches on three parables, uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Um, so first of all, like I said, I wanted to take a good hard look at myself. Do I have the heart um, that I need to see people genuinely come to Christ? Do I even care, do I even care if people are lost? Do I even care? Do I seek for the heart of Jesus when it comes to those that are lost? Am I muttering about them behind the scenes? So in Luke 15, and again, like I said, we're going to look at the whole chapter. We see here Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees specifically when he's using this portion of uh, this chapter. Um, this is all being addressed to the Pharisees, even though it is, um, it, it is uh, three parables. Um, and uh, he's speaking directly to them about, about these three things. Um, so the Pharisees were basically uh, one of, there was like three sects in uh, Main Street in Judaism, and, and the Pharisees were one of those, and there was the, the Essenes and the Sadducees. Um, so a sect today would be co- kind of like what a denomination is. We'd kind of look at that like a denomination or a religious party of some sort. Um, but... All in all, the Pharisees were very popular in Jesus' time. They were very popular. They were a very strong presence. Um, but they were also very self-righteous and prideful. And, uh, but on the other hand, they had an interest in Jesus because they also um, were the ones that basically warned him that, that Herod was out to kill him. Um, and some of them even invited him to dinner. Some of them even said, come on over for dinner. Um, and one of those was, who you know, is Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. And he actually asked Jesus, how do I be born again? So although they were quite self-righteous and, and prideful and egotistical in their times, they had an interest in Jesus. They could see something within him. Um, so 
in this, in this particular passage, though, Jesus wanted to drive something home to them regarding their attitudes uh, towards the lost and sinners. And so I'm going to start reading um, from the beginning of the chapter. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathered around uh, to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law murmured, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So we can see that we can see that we set the scene here. Here's Jesus, and he's talking to all these sinners. So it's probably like you sitting in a bar talking to people, you know, drinking, whatever. And, uh, you know, they're doing their sin kind of, they're, they're sinners. They're known as that. They're well known as that. And the Pharisees are like, what the heck is going on? Jesus is, what's he doing? So the Pharisees were basically compa- complaining that Jesus was, well, you know, Jesus welcomed sinners and he even ate with them. And how could he do that? I mean, he was a good little Jewish boy. He shouldn't be hanging around with sinners. So Jesus was hearing, you know, Jesus heard their mutterings and he began to share with them these three parables, Okay. The parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. So I'm just going to read you the, the first one, the parable of the lost sheep. Okay. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in, I tell you that in the same way, you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So see, this story basically now, is, is, it seems to be touching those that have left the flock. Um, those that maybe once served the Lord, but maybe backslidden. They're lost, they're lost to God, they're lost. And then the shepherd then proceeds to leave the 99 of them in a safe place, in a safe place, and he goes to find the lost sheep. And the lost sheep, you know, that lost sheep is out there. The shepherd knows that that sheep is, you know, exposed to whatever. Uh, Beasts of prey, he's probably frightened. Maybe he's longing for the green, green grass of home. (laughs) Uh, But he can't find his way back to the fold. And then enters the shepherd. The shepherd does find the sheep. And it's, it's really interesting how the shepherd, he just joyfully picks up that sheep and puts it on his shoulder. And the sheep is probably dirty and stinky, which I know sheep usually are anyway, but maybe it's extra dirty and extra, extra stinky because it's been out in the whatever and doing whatever. And so, but the shepherd just picks it up and places, it on, places the, the sheep on the shoulder. And then just, it's just like this act of, you know, complete like, oh my gosh, I've found you. And, and I'm holding you to myself, you know. Um, and then he calls his friends and neighbors, and it's a big rejoicing time. And, and the, the important thing to see here in this particular parable is that um, he calls um, this sheep his sheep. He takes ownership of this sheep. And then he says to the Pharisees right here, he says, um, and he points directly to them, and he says, I tell you, and he's pointing to them, he's saying, I tell you, that in the same way there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people, right? And then he proceeds to go on right to the lost coin. And that one says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over a sinner who repents. See, there's a great deal of care and pain taking into finding this coin, isn't there? It means something. The Lord uses various means, though, and methods to bring lost souls home, just like we've seen here. 
You know, she uses the light, she sweeps, she cleans, all those things she needs to bring, us, bring, bring souls home. Then again, we see the celebration when it's found and she calls her friends and neighbors and like, probably doesn't text them or anything, but I mean, you know, not in those days anyway, um, and tells them the good news. You know what? What was lost is now found. And then Jesus goes right to the next verse. He just like, he's just killing it, man. He's just like one, two, three, right after the other. He's getting those. And he wants these Pharisees to know exactly what he's saying about the lost. He wants to drive the point home. So he goes right into the parable of the lost son. And, you know, you've probably heard this story many times. I know I have. And I've, I've heard it, you know, definitely pertaining to, you know, prodigals coming home and the excitement and the, the waiting and anticipation that the father has. Um, but Jesus was trying to tell the Pharisees something in this story about their attitudes towards the sinner, those that are lost. So I'm going to read that one. It's a little bit more lengthier, okay? There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger brother, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he, began, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen in the country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many, how many of my father's hired servants have, have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and he came, came near the house, and he heard music and dancing. So, so he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Well, your brother's come. He replied, your father, your, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's come back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered, he answered his father, look at all these years I've been saving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never give me even a, a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when, his son, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, said the father, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we've had to celebrate and be glad because your brother, the brother of yours, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. So I'm sorry, that was a bit long, but um, it's a great story. It's a great parable. And Jesus wanted to use that to show the Pharisees their attitude um, regarding the lost. So let's look at that parable from that perspective today. The younger son asked the father, to, you know, for his share of the father's estate. And basically, that was a slap in the face to the father. Um, and he was, the son was basically saying, you're dead to me. I don't really care about you. I just want to do my own thing. So the father agreed and divided his wealth, wealth between the two sons. So notice the other son was provided for. Um, and his young son moved away, and he probably went among the Gentiles and wasted all he had to the point of starvation. We know that. Even in this state, um, no one gave him anything. 
Uh, but when he was ready to go home and ask forgiveness, he was, he just, it was like it, it, he was done. He wanted to, he wanted to go home. And, and there was, there's, there's three things that we need to know. Um, there are some basically that hold to the fact that in this culture at that particular time, the father um, would have been expected to do one of three things on the return of his son. That he would either have to stone him or turn him away or make him a slave. And the young son was pretty much hoping for the third because he was basically going through his mind beforehand what he was going to say to his father. And it's like, oh, please take me on as a hired servant. Um, so he was definitely thinking about what the process would be when he returned home. Because you know what, this was a bad little Jewish boy and, you know, he needed to be made an example of according to the Jewish culture. But we see the actually, we see the actual complete opposite happen here. His father basically diligently watches for him and then sees him from a distance and goes running towards him. And, you know, the father was just like filled with love and compassion and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the father basically after that threw a great big party and he dressed him in the finest robe. We heard that and, and you know, he put a ring on his fingers, he put sandals on his feet. The celebration was to celebrate um, that his son was lost but was now found. Then the older brother comes into the picture. And I think that this, um, in this parable, Jesus might possibly have been showing the Pharisees that they had an attitude like the brother. Okay? The oldest son. You see, he had a place in the father's home. He was secure and he was loved by the father. We know that. He had an inheritance. We know that. Um, and he might have even had a greater amount of money given to him. We, but we don't know that. Um, but it could, it could have been possible that he did. Um, yet it says the older brother was angry, and the father begged him to come and celebrate with them, but he would not. Instead, the brother spit words of frustration and anger at the father, demonstrating basically self-righteousness and prideful attitude, kind of like the Pharisees did when, it, when regards to the lost and sinners. And then the parable ends with the father addressing the older son, and the father was stating the obvious, okay, this is obvious to the father, to the older son, and the son just couldn't see it. He was happy because, you know, he had found his son. But the older brother wasn't lost. He was already found. And so, but the older brother couldn't see that obvious thing. So, what is your attitude towards the lost? Do we only see the sin and, you know, and we kind of don't see the sinner? Do we value um, those that are lost, do we value them? Jesus took the time in this parable to speak directly to the leaders of his day in the religious community, much like you people are here, and tell them what he wanted them to know regarding his heart towards the lost, how he saw sinners. They had a totally wrong attitude regarding the lost. In the first two parables, it doesn't really address outward attitude very much. It kind of just speaks about somebody finding something. Um, but in the last parable of the lost son, we definitely see an attitude addressed here. And that's the um, attitude of the oldest brother. You see, the oldest son held the father basically to himself and neglected to look at the needs of his younger brother. The older brother obviously was not secure in his relationship with the father at all. He needed, he really needed to, to say to himself, hey, wait a minute. Um, oh, yeah, I am found. I'm safe. I'm secure. I know who I am to my father. 
my brother's lost. Yeah, wait a second. You know what? He's come home. But he didn't say that. He was selfish and prideful. I know that just like the older brother, I've kind of had thoughts like that myself. And I think if we can be all honest, we've probably had much, we have thoughts like some of these. Um, You know, because uh, basically, you know, they didn't even serve the Lord. He didn't even serve the Lord at that point in time. And he came back and the Father was rejoicing, okay? And there's times that I've thought, you know what, Lord? Um, you know, this guy has a great big house and he's got a car and he's got a great job and he's got great kids and his kids are going to university and they're becoming doctors. And Lord, I serve you and like, where's my stuff? Like, where, where's my stuff, God? Like, come on, like, what about me? I'm starting to sound like the older brother, you know, because the older brother basically said, look how many years I've stayed here and served you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? You know, and so I think that there's been times for myself where I've had to, I've had to say, you know, I've said that, I've caught myself saying that. So then why should I care, Lord? They look like they've got everything they need. I don't even need to care. You see, Jesus reaches right to the heart of the problem with the Pharisees. They were like, hey, Jesus, um, hello, we're here, and you're sitting with the sinners and the tax collectors, but we're here, and we're the spiritual ones. You should be with us. Um, they obviously weren't secure in what was going on. Of course, they weren't, they, they weren't even pursuing a relationship with Christ at that point. Um, you know, instead, they could have done something like, you know, maybe lead those sinners to Jesus and kind of be an example for them. But they never did. They Instead, they just pointed fingers at them, you know. In each of these parables, we see passion for that which was lost. And if you notice, in each of these parables, we never see the shepherd, the father, or the shepherd, the woman, or the father become angry or frustrated about the situation. And that's the way God is with us. And that is the way God is with the lost because he never, ever looks to, he never, ever looks to, this, he looks to the value of, of the person, never their sin, because if they, you know, if they come to Jesus and they confess that sin, that sin is gone to him. It's gone to him. It's no longer there. As far as the east is from the west. And I know for myself, I want to be incredibly diligent in helping the lost find Christ. I want the lost to know an inc- the incredible loving arms that are available to carry them when they're tired and weary and desperate and need of a savior like the shepherd did with the lost sheep. And I want the lost to know that I will search high and low in every nook, nick and cranny to help them find their way to Christ, just like the woman did when she tried to find that coin. And I want the lost to know that I will open my arms in acceptance no matter what they've done, no matter what they've been through, or what they smell like, or what they look like, to see that they reach the destination to the arms of their loving father. And I want to have the heart like Jesus did for the lost. You see, the Pharisees saw the sin and not the lost sinner. They never once asked, like I said before, they never once asked Jesus, how can I help you, Lord? How can I lead them to you? They never recognized the lostness about any of them. They just muttered behind the backs of those people. And so, like, when I was just thinking about that, in today's society, let's just bring that over to today now. In today's society, we see sin like we've never really seen it before. Like, I know I'm getting old. I'm in my 50s. Who's else, who's else in their 50s? Yeah, hoo-hoo up for 50s here. Um, 
That's why I'm sitting, too, by the way, because I'm in my 50s and I can't stand this long. <laughs> so all the worship time was enough for me. Um, but, um, you know, we've seen sin. Like, I know back from when I was first growing up, and I'm sure many of you can testify because we were talking a little bit about this the other day. We've seen sin, like, just push boundaries in society today. And, uh, like, I've never seen it to major extremes, Right? But I've also read of ministries um, that are, are, are touching those extremes, too. Like I was just reading in, in the course I was doing about a ministry um, that's going into the gay community in Montreal. Um, and there are other ministries that are so much, um, that are trying to minister to people in places where, where people are at. And they see the value in the lost. Um, and they are taking great, great risks. You know, we don't, have to go, we don't really have to go far to find lost people, do we? We don't have to go to other countries. There's lost rate. There's people that are lost right here. And in this course I was taking, it said basically, I, I was really surprised, but stats show that North America is now the largest mission field in the English-speaking world. And the third largest after China. Um, so we have a mission situation right in our own country, right here. And I, also reading about the Francophones, basically they're one of the most unevangelized population on the, basically almost on the face of the earth. So... Um, we have a job to do right in here in our own community. It, ex- it, it, it really also grieves me to see the LGBT community. Uh, we don't talk about that much in our churches. Um, they feel like Christians hate them. And you see, Jesus never placed any value on the sin that the lost son was involved in. He placed value on him. The father also doesn't seem to make a plan to try and get counseling for the boy in regards to his sleeping around with prostitutes and other behavior that would have been possibly, possibly arise after he came back. It's possible that the son could have slipped away again after. We don't know that. But if the, son looked, if the father looked to just what the son was involved with and in, maybe he wouldn't have opened his arms for him and took him back. But he looked past that and he saw the value of him. In fact, He always just saw him. He never saw anything else. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We cannot sacrifice the truth of God's word, but we must, we have to trust the transforming love of Jesus Christ to do the work in an individual's heart, not us. The LGDP, uh, the LG, I, I just have to bear with me here because I keep, my daughter keeps laughing at me because I keep saying this backwards. I always go LGTB. And it's the LGBT community needs to see the love of Christ, don't they? And I was just watching some video footage um, of the recent killing in uh, a massacre in the States um, at the gay uh, nightclub there. And um, the church that was protesting outside, basically saying that they hate gay people, gay people should be dead, all this kind of stuff. And I know that that doesn't represent the majority of the Christian population. But unfortunately, that's what people see from us, from our side of things. They think that all Christians feel like that. Um, they think that we all have attitudes like that, but we don't. We're not haters, and we shouldn't be haters. We do not, uh, we, do, we just, we don't, we place the lost in, in the same category. They're lost, you know, and that's the same with anybody who's living a homosexual lifestyle or who, who is, um, you know, out sleeping around or whatever, you know, who's involved in alcoholism and whatever, all those things, all those sins, they're lost. Bottom line, they're lost. There's no difference to the state of lostness even in these parables. 
Okay, so when we look at the parables, we look at the lost sheep. It was lost to the shepherd. The lost sheep was just as lost to the, lo- to the shepherd as the coin was to the woman and the son was to the father, right? So there was no real difference in terms of just the lo- it, they were lost. They all needed to be found. And when found, they all rejoiced because they were found. So I just found it interesting when I was going through this particular thing, when I was just praying over this particular subject, and I thought, God, what is my attitude towards the lost? What is our attitude towards the lost? You know, do we have an attitude like the Pharisees where we're just like, you know what, we're going to murmur about them, you know, we're not going to, you know, we're going to isolate ourselves. We're not going to go out into the world and, and be salt and light. We're just going to stay in our own little comfortable places here. Um, and we're not going to do anything. And the Lord obviously felt that it was very important for the religious people of his time specifically, but for us to know what he feels about lost souls. Many of you guys are representatives of people in your lives who are lost, who have either backslidden or who have, um, you know, who have not even accepted Christ. I know many of you parents are parents of kids who are not serving the Lord. Um, But this goes to show you just how much, how much the Father loves your kids, your kids, your grandkids, your sisters, your brothers, your aunts, your uncles, those those that you know who are lost, and he wants them found. And he wants them found, and he wants to use you to help lead them there. See, we're Jesus. We're, we're, we're his presence. His Holy Spirit is, is, is living within us, and it's his presence on earth today. And we have been empowered to go out and preach the good news to all men because it's God's, it's, it's God's, um, it's God's desire that no one should perish. He's not, a, he's not a mean God, and he doesn't say, well, you know, he was really bad, so, you know, he's... He's getting the gun, you know. God wants all to, to know him. And, our, and what, we, what we're doing is we don't need to be like the selfish brother who's just looking to ourselves. We need to say, God, you know what? I'm found. I'm found. Are you found? You're found. If you're found, then rejoice in someone else who isn't found and who is, then becomes, comes to the Lord and is found. Be the, be the instrument that God needs in this world today to go out and to say, you know what? Like, I remember Mary Cruz when she was here, who was here when Mary was here. She said something that really touched my heart. And that was about, you know, some people will say, you know, because I'm saying, I see people throw the word of God back in your face. Well, you know what the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself, you know, and all that stuff. But you know what? He can't, the enemy can't take away our testimony. And Mary said that. That was really neat. When I, when I heard her say that, I thought, that's right. So you can go out and you say, you know what? This is what's happened to me, though. This is what I've experienced. I've experienced this. I've experienced for myself. I, I've experienced sitting on a bed at 13 years old and saying, God, if you're there, come to me. And all of a sudden feeling the presence of, of him enter me. I felt different. I felt the presence of the Lord come into my life. And when I woke down, when I went downstairs the next morning, my family was not saved. And the first thing my mother did was cry and say, there's something different about you. What happened? And I said, Mom, guess what happened? You know, somebody told me about Jesus. I read this book, Cross and the Switchblade, and I just said the prayer at the end. And I thought, God, if you're there, you're, show yourself to me. You know what? I was lost, and I was, then I was found. 
You know what? Just like the son did not know, the angels also rejoiced over him when he was found. Right? But he was too worried about thinking about his brother and being jealous about his brother. See, God did the same rejoicing when he came to him and when he was found. And so for us today, our challenge is to say, you know, let's step out of our comfort zones and look at the lost the way Jesus looked at the lost. There's going to be many people in this world that touch our, that come in, we come in contact that we're not going to agree with. I know that sometimes even going out, like when I was in Calgary and we were doing the soup kitchen there, I was really appalled because I know that some of the people were Christians that were serving them and they had the worst attitudes, you know, that were serving them. They were like, oh, that person stinks. Why is he back here? He, you know, he's on welfare. He can get off of welfare and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, dudes, he doesn't know the Lord. You know the Lord. You shouldn't have that kind of attitude. I don't care what that guy does. Jesus knows that guy's heart. I had a pastor who once told me, I look at everybody as a 10 right away. I never put anybody down. When I look at you, you're a 10 in God's eyes. You're a 10 in God's eyes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter that on a Sunday morning we had to sit next to somebody who pulled herself off the street that smelled like pee so bad that we almost had to plug our noses, and I thought, no, God, no, I can't do this. I have to sit, I'm going to sit next to this, so I'm going to purposely sit next to this woman, you know, and show her the love of Jesus. There's going to be people in our lives, there's going to be things that happen in our lives and situations that we come up against in our lives with lost, that we're going to have to challenge our attitudes. We're going to have to say, you know what, we're just going to have to put them in sync with the Word of God. Because you know what? Jesus says, this one is lost and I want him found and I'm putting you in that direction to do it and to lead him home. So, I hope that that wasn't, I hope there was no condemnation in that. I look at myself the same way. I look at myself and say, Michelle, you need to challenge yourself. There's a lost world out there. Jesus is coming back. It ain't getting any better. It ain't getting any better. And he wants to use each one of us. The church, people, this church, church is no longer going to be what it used to be like. It's changing. Stats have even shown that attendance is so down. It's halfway down for sure in the last 20 years for sure, especially in the Roman Catholic churches, but in the mainstream denominations. There is one thing encouraging, though. I was sharing on Wednesday night that the Pentecostal denominations has shown increase. So that's a good thing. But... People don't want to go to church, but they want a spiritual experience. And if they want a spiritual experience, don't let, don't let some psychic offer it to them. Show them that Jesus Christ is there. He's the only experience they'll ever need, right? So let's take this time now to just stand. And I just want to pray. And, I, you know, I just really feel to just pray for the lost. But also, the other thing that God put on my heart too is pray. And we prayed on Wednesday night for this. But um, something that really struck me um, with this, you know, course I was taking was they said that before revival hits in places, there's basically, there was a uh, gentleman who did like a study on what some of the phases before and after revival. And one of the phases before was that they had noticed that there was much prayer that had gone in beforehand. That the seeds of prayer were sown. Um, and when revival broke out, it was the fruit of that prayer. And so revival means lost souls to me. It means lost souls. It means, our, you know, it means that there will be more people coming to the Lord. So, um, Matt, can you just come up and, and play? And I just think that 
at this point um, in, our, in our walk here with Parkway, church is going to look very different. It might not look the same. We might not see the same people coming every Sunday like we did maybe when we were kids and we had steady church attendance. You know, uh, you come to church and you wear your good black shoes and your white shirt and you come to church. We don't see that anymore, hardly. We see people barely wanting to walk through the door, so it's up to us to go out into that world. It's up to us to take the gospel out there, okay? Now, some of those people that we share with might never come back and step in this building, but if they receive Jesus Christ, that's all that they need. And we pray and we send them on their way. However, we pray that they do come because they need to grow and they need to plant themselves. But it's important for us to know that God wants to use us differently and we have to put down the old ways of thinking traditions that might have that we might want to hold on to about how things used to work in the past and we need to move on with what God wants for the future we're living in a world that's changing there's different um, social issues out there that are reflective in the church when people are coming in and they're being saved and we need to be there as a light in the darkness and we need to say here Jesus is here for you and this is what he can do we don't have to worry about changing people we don't worry, have to worry about any of that because Jesus will do that. We have to simply recognize the lost and go out and share with them. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you, God. I thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our message. We hope it blessed and encouraged you. If you like what you hear, we would love to have you join us here on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on Murray Drive in Corona.